Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn? And when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. And we're live. Welcome back to Be Squared with Brendan Kumarasamy, my partner in crime. I'm Billy. Brendan, what's up, man? How you doing? Life is great. Billy B, how about you, man? I'm good. Well, we're going to do a short Saturday evening session. It's, uh, what is it, about 9 p.m. your time in Montreal and here in Los Angeles. It's just after 6 and so um, if you're tuning in, where in the world are, are you and what time is it where you're at? Would love to know. So include that in the chat. I'm curious about something, man, because you you study people and you really are a student of exceptional human beings, people that are doing remarkable things. And because of that, I'm fascinated to learn. When we first met, you told me a, a just... It was like a, almost like a laundry list of things that I should watch. And you almost gave me homework assignments. And so I want to review some of the things that you've taught me. And, and don't worry if these aren't the exact things that you shared during our first meeting. I don't expect that you're going to remember all of that. But I want to talk about a few people specifically. What are some of the biggest insights that you gained from them? And then for those, and I see Gonzalo's in Salt Lake City. Welcome, Gonzalo. Good to see you. So where... Where I'd like to go is really diving into the the biggest takeaways, the biggest and most impactful things that you've learned from some of these remarkable people. So let's start with Seth Godin, who is, I know, at the top of your list. I think if you were going to model your career and the way in which you approach how you show up and how you bring amazing insights to the world, I think there'd be probably, and correct me if I'm wrong here, there'd be no one more than Seth Godin who you would model your approach to. So first, why is that? And then second, give us some of the gold, because I mean, he's been writing a blog every day for however many years. I know it'd be hard to say one thing, but what are some of the things that stand out that are most memorable about what you've learned from Seth? Absolutely, and, and that could be a podcast in and of itself just on Seth, but I'll give you the biggest one, Billy. 
The biggest reason why Seth tops my list, for the most part, is because he's playing a very different game than most thought leaders. Most thought leaders, Billy, they're focused on getting to the next thing. You know, after I get my YouTube channel, then I'm going to do my Twitter feed, then I'm going to do my New York Times bestseller list, then I'm going to do a blog, and then it's just tick, 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 and then once all the boxes are checked, it's done. Right? We win, we have a multi-seven-figure business, it's done. What's interesting about Seth is he took a complete opposite to that. He actually became wealthy long before he started creating content because he was one of the founders of email, actually. And he was the CEO of a company called YoYoDyne that exited. Founders of email? Explain. He, he, he pioneered email. Like, um, not like one part of email. It's the, the way that we market to people. It's called permission marketing. Mm. So before permission marketing, basically everyone would just spam people. Spam gotcha, with a gotcha, bunch gotcha. of emails. So he was a, he was a pioneer of permission based email marketing, which is a great fun fact in and of itself. But carry carry on. Correct, and he was one of the first. Also, he was also one of the first to pioneer email marketing as a service. So when he founded YoYoDyne in the early '90s, he would go up to companies like Fortune 500s and go, "Hey, you should use email in your marketing strategy." They're like, what's email? Like, what's this guy talking about? And of course, you know, he had a really good exit. He sold to Yahoo for a lot of money, and that's how he became wealthy. So for him, thought leadership was never a way to enrich himself. Mm. It was always a way to constantly push his own energy so that at the end of his life, this is how I interpret his work, where he never says this, this part, but this is how I interpret it. At the end of his life, he'll have this unique and it's important to say unique body of knowledge that only Seth Godin could have created. I mean, think about it. What other person that will ever exist will have books titled Purple Cow, Tribes, Lynchpin, all in the same sentence? It just doesn't – it's very unique and he's always whirling a purple tie. He's very he, – he's not afraid to embrace this controversy yep. and he does it – and that's the beautiful part about Seth – and why he tops by he does it in service of humanity. Even today, you know actually what's crazy about Seth? Let's let's get into the real nitty-gritty. He's answered not one, but two of my questions on his podcast Akimbo. So why do I mention that? Two things. What one, you should go check out my features. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, but the, okay. the, I'm sure the, was that one of the things you sent me? That's that's awesome. Yeah, but the the reason why I mentioned that is an even more important question. Why is he bothering? The dude's 63. I've never given him a dollar. Why is he emailing me and saying, hey, could you re-pronounce it? Great question. I'll answer. Why is he even doing this? <laughs> because all the questions I asked him were extremely hard. He would literally spend five minutes answering them, and he wouldn't even have an answer. He's just thinking through the answer. And I'm just like, why, why are you putting yourself through this? And that's the magic of Seth Godin, is he's playing a different game. And his game, in my opinion, is a hundred years from now, someone's going to pick up Purple Cow and it's going to change their life. So whenever I saw Seth, that I brought that back into my work. Even if I wasn't making the money he did, I knew when I started Master Talk when I was 22 or something, I was some loser on a couch, my mom's couch. The reason I did it was because in my head, especially six months into it, a hundred years from now, there's going to be some little girl who grows up to be like the next Elon Musk. That's probably going to happen in the next 10 years, to be honest, who watches my stuff because nobody else is democracy. No one else is pushing the boundaries on something so boring like communication, right? And then they're going to look at that and grow up becoming the next Elon at long after I'm gone. Mm. That's the game I'm playing. And Seth was a constant reminder of what the real game is. So 
it makes a lot of sense that someone who doesn't do it for the money is able to really do it for a way that will matter not only to them, but to future generations. I don't want to leave Seth because to your point, we could talk about him for an entire, maybe we should. I have a few other people that I do want to dive into, but beyond what you've just mentioned, which is really, really insightful, why is he the person that stands out to you that in a way makes you feel like he's the person you want to model your career after? And what are some of the biggest, I guess you could say highlights of things that you've taken from him that you haven't yet already shared? Absolutely. So I actually think it's in beyond that to what you said about, you know, it's not just about the money. I think it's more about immortality. And what I mean by that is the immortality of ideas. Mm-hmm. Seth is conscious that he's the only, he's probably one of the few human beings that will ever exist to talk about purple cows and to push the boundaries of that thought leadership. So he makes a conscious decision to say, I'm going to take this risk every single day of my life. And there's a couple of insights I got from him. There's probably 20, but I'll, I'll, I'll simmer it down to three. I would say the first one is the way that he explains how culture works. And this is something I didn't really understand until I t- understood Seth and his work is he's very good at explaining that everything that happens in our world, for the most part, is always due to culture. I'll give you a super easy example to think about this. Okay, Let's say we think about Jordan brand, right? the Nike shoes. Very expensive shoes. But why do people still buy those shoes 20 years after Michael Jordan has retired from the sport? Don't quote me. I know basketball fans. It's going to be 15 years, whatever. Let's just say 20 to keep it simple. Why are people still buying that that shoe? Because the story behind the shoe is still so powerful. It has a significant value within mm-hmm. our culture. That's one side of culture. The other side that he argues is status rules. Think about billionaires. Why do most billionaires give most of their money to universities and schools instead of, you know, solving the water crisis or doing world hunger. And the reason, as Seth argues, is status rules. Everything has a selfish benefit. And every human being, for the most part, is either trying to move up the social ladder, because you're either moving up or you're moving down. And the way that you move up at that level, because when you're a billionaire, you can't really compete over money anymore. The only way you level up at that point is through status rules. And what's a great way to build status? Well, having your name on a school is amazing. Right? It's a way of showcasing status. So it's the way that he explains this. It's super useful to anyone who's a change maker because it helps us understand how human beings actually work. And then with that knowledge, it weaponizes very good people who want to do good in the world to actually make a big difference. So when I think about master talk, I also think about status rules and culture and say, how do I make master talk a part of the culture? So that means I might be a bit more hip in my videos. I might add a bit more personality so that I stand out a bit more. That's one piece. Culture, status roles, how to use culture to make a difference in the world. The second one is this idea that controversy is king. Mm. The more controversial you are, generally speaking, yeah, sure, there's a lot of things. And and to his detriment, actually to, to his credit rather, Seth Godin is very open to the fact that because he's so controversial, most of his ideas are wrong. Mm. But it's that risk, right? But the risk, but the point that he drives, right? And Seth Godin says this, by the way, in his podcast. He says, the goal of my podcast, the goal of my lessons is not that I'm right every time. 
is that I can help you see the exact same thing from a completely different lens that you didn't look at it before. So take weddings as an example. Something completely random, nothing really to do with Seth's work. He has a whole episode on the wedding conflict, super fascinating. And basically what he says in the episode is all of us, you know, we, we want to do all these amazing things in life. But why do we, like, spend all this money on weddings? It's like $50,000 for, like, a day. And you're all sitting on different tables. You don't really get to meet most people. It's not that great of an experience. The food isn't that great. <laughs> the so DJ is a bit. And, <laughs> but at the same time, if you took that same $50,000, and let's say, let's say I was getting married, which I guess is going to happen soon, and then I look at you and I go, okay, you and 25 other people, how about I just spend $2,000 on each of you and let's just go crazy for a week? Like right. crazy. Wouldn't that be a better experience than just sitting at a table for a whole day? So what's the point I'm driving? The point I'm driving is Seth isn't inventing anything new. Seth is showing us the same thing in a completely different way that creates such a mind-blowing experience where you just go, wow, I never thought of it that way. That's signature Seth. Well, let me let me just say real quick on that on that point. It's because he does that, you pay attention. Because human beings are hardwired to not pay attention to the things that are the same or the things they're used to. We are literally hardwired to not see the things that we know will be there. When we do pay attention is when there's a pothole in the road, when there's something out of the ordinary, when there's something unique or different or when there's a new lens put on something that may we may be seeing all the time. We're looking at it in a different perspective. So then we are able to appreciate and take in what he's sharing in a much more powerful way than if he were to do, do it in a normal way that would just get forgotten. And I think this is why, you know, when we talked in our last episode, why one of the things we're going to be talking about is how do we take a commonly held belief and turn it on its head? How do we take commonly held beliefs in any industry, and how do we find a opposite point of view, a potentially passionate disagreement with that commonly held belief? Shout out to James Carberry who asked that question in his podcast. So yeah, carry on, man. I just wanted to say that. So, this is this is brilliant. This is amazing. Like I love your share because you always get me excited about this stuff. Is I almost want to focus on Seth, I guess, right now. Is the idea? Let, let me even push these even further to the extreme, just so people are super clear. I almost feel sometimes that Seth is whispering to me and all of us and saying, Hey, Brendan, take the risk. Take the risk. Because if you don't take risk, you are not going to contribute anything meaningful in your life. You're not going to do anything meaningful, anything that's worth doing. So take the risk. And when it comes back to me, I've done that. Well, I'll give myself a little bit of credit here. I have bizarre videos on Master that very few people know about where I compare <laughs> the most randomest things with public speaking, like puzzles, right? I do rappers. I have a video on rappers because my best friend's a rapper, though he doesn't like to call himself that. He calls himself, like, he calls himself a musician, but he's a rapper. And I have like a three lessons I learned from public speaking from rappers. So because I'm not afraid to take these eccentric risks, I have I create thought leadership, and I got that all from Seth Godin, to his credit. 
that I'm not afraid to take that risk because I know it'll allow me to create thought leadership that no other human being can can create. Here's a super easy example of how it's benefited me, my clients, and pretty much the world hopefully soon is the idea of karaoke. So one fun fact for those who don't know me that well is I can karaoke in seven to eight different languages. Right, I can karaoke in like Mandarin and Japanese and Korean and French and English. So that's fun. It is fun. It's pretty cool that you can I can karaoke that. But there's also a practicality layered into that. Because when I thought back to my karaoke, I realized it's also the best way to practice pronunciation. Like I'll give you an example right now. So let's say I did Italian right now. Buongiorno, come stai molto bene, Eli. So I just said hi. How are you? How's it going? Right? Japanese, it's Ohayo gizaimasu genki desu ka. Hi, good morning, how are you? And in Korean, it's Naseyo, which is hi. In French, it's Bonjour, comment allez-vous aujourd'hui? So notice I'm switching effortlessly between languages. I don't know how to speak most of them. But what I want people to pay attention to is my pronunciation between those languages is very good. Why is that? Because I practice pronouncing words I don't understand, it improves my pronunciation. But going back to Seth, if I never took the risk or I just said something like, oh, you know what? Uh, there's nothing. There's no correlation, Billy, between karaoke and public speaking. What will people think of me? I wouldn't have created something useful for my clients or people who are listening to implement. That's the magic of Seth Godin is take the risk because it's the only way to live a life filled with meaning. And then you add a third one, I guess, to close is I just like how generous the guy is. Honestly, generosity is king and, and he embodies that. I think it's absolutely insane that he charges $150,000 a speech yet still takes time out of his schedule to take 30 minutes and go on a podcast for nothing. And a lot of times they're not big podcasts. He's not doing it for him. He's doing it for them. And that speaks to the generosity. So I want to talk about number two one more time and specifically this idea that I have of the power of the mashup. And when you take two things and you put them together, it creates a completely unique thing. An example is I did several posts last year where I did life lessons from Ferris Bueller's Day Off or life lessons from you know Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And they did really, really well. Not only is it pop culture that people are curious about and people have this nostalgic feeling about these films that you, Brendan, probably haven't even seen. But, but the point is people appreciate when you take two different things and you put them together. And I use the, it's the s'mores effect, right? You know, marshmallows are great. Graham crackers are great. Chocolate's great. You put them together and it's something totally different. It's mind blowing, right? It's like, you just can't, you can't beat a s'mores. And so when we're able to take two things and put them together, it creates something that is a lot more exciting to whoever's consuming it, whether that be a movie, right? And this is how movies are pitched. It's Harry Met Sally meets Revenge of the Nerds, right? I mean, I'm, it's probably not that, but you get the point. It's like you take two things and you put them together and it's giving you something completely unique, which is very similar to this idea of the lens. So I wanted to say that, but actually I have a question about something that Seth does and that is because he does a solo podcast, he's able to optimize his content in a way in which you've highlighted, you brought this to my attention, that is unique. Let's be real about this. When you're interviewing somebody, yeah, you can edit out the bad parts or the not so great parts, but the reality is it's a it's more of an organic, free-flowing conversation. There's gonna be highlights and 
some average parts. But if you curate the content, you could make it super concentrated with goodness, with amazing insights. Talk a little bit about why that's so important as we as we think about content creation and why it's so valuable. Absolutely. So the reason that's so valuable is because now as the number of podcasts, the number of YouTubers, the number of anything is starting to go up dramatically, there's a lot more competition for attention than there was 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So now because consumers have the power, Billy, they have the choice to go, well, I can go here, I can go there. And because that loyalty is a lot lower, we need to triple down on how to make sure that whenever we open our mouths, whenever we share something interesting, it either leads to education, entertainment, or a mix of the two. We need to create something that people actually want. And what's interesting about Seth Godin, and and even Seth is having challenges with this in his later episodes, but his first couple of episodes were so good because... He was just him. And because he had built up years, decades, I would say, of thought leadership, when it was time for him to switch into solo podcasts, he knew exactly what he wanted to say, how he wanted to say it, and what analogies to use to make that message be heard by everyone else who's listening. And that's what's interesting about that. And then over time, because he has so much knowledge backed up in his blog, every single week was just gold. And that's why I listen to every single one. But the other thing I'll, I'll mention as well is even for someone like Seth Godin, if you look at the last 20 episodes, they aren't as amazing as the first 20. Because even Seth's running out of ideas because he's been doing it for a long time as solo episodes. But what I appreciate about him nonetheless is in one episode in particular, he literally goes, I'm not really sure if this rant is useful to anyone who's listening, <laughs> but it's a good thought for this week. I just love that approach. Yeah. Because... For me, the value of Seth's podcast is, yes, the content, but just listening to him think out loud in itself is super valuable. So if you're a big fan of somebody or some influence and personality, and you get the opportunity to just hear them think, Lewis actually is a good example of that as well, where in many episodes, he just talks at Lewis House, for those who are listening, where he has literally episodes of just he just explains how he's thinking about something. And I just find those things so interesting because it helps inform the way I think about things as well. Yeah. And if you have somebody that you greatly admire and respect and you study, they don't always need to have, you know, thunder and lightning level insights that are going to blow your mind. I mean, they're only human. So I actually, you mentioned something very briefly that I want to, I want to tap into, which is that the struggle piece. So you know Seth, you know his work so well, you've listened to probably all of his content. I don't know, you know, if you if you read his blog as regularly as you listen to his podcast, but I'm curious if he said to you, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, if he said to you, Brendan, how could I improve? I'm not sure if there are big improvement points. A couple of small things I think that could be used is I think it's a massive disservice to the world that he's not audio recording every one of his blogs because to your credit... I actually don't follow his blog at all. Not because I hate it, not because it's badly written, not at all, actually. Seth has one of the best blogs in the world. I'm just a terrible reader. <laughs> but his podcast, I listen to that like 24 hours, 48 hours as soon as so. Probably missed two or three episodes I have to catch up on. Most of the time I'm listening because it's easy to implement. So the only advice I would give Seth is to not let the nonconformity get in the way of the masses. Right. And I think this is crazy to me, though. Think about this. 
Think about the content that he has. Even if he didn't read it himself, if he outsourced that, if he found somebody to do that, and it's just like a little, hey. And, and, and also for those who can't read, right? I mean, I know there's, there's tools and whatnot that, that will allow them, but I, imagine how much better it would be if it was read by somebody who could read it with some emotion that obviously Seth trusted. Now he may not want somebody else to read it, and therefore, it, you know, that won't happen. But he's he's a, a example. There's other bloggers. There's other people that have created tons of written content. And I think we are moving into this audio revolution. And it just seems like low-hanging fruit that all this content exists. It's almost like taking analog and putting it to digital, right? And so it's a similar type of concept with blogs. So just want to highlight that. But go ahead. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And it's a minor critique. I always like to put that out because I'm such a – like he's pretty much my god. <laughs> Seth Cohen is the best. But look, I, I get his point of view as well. Like his audiobooks are amazing. Like he does his own audiobooks. He, he announces the words and does it. And once again, for his age, he doesn't have to do that anymore. He's got the money in the bank. But he still does it. And I get it because – I bet I bet his perspective on this is well branded. My let's say he was talking to me. These fifteen books pretty much summarize ninety percent of my blog. So if I were to record everything blog by blog, I would only be benefiting an extra ten percent, maybe or twenty percent. That would probably be his argument if I had a conversation. I'm just guesstimating here, mm-hmm. but it's but since you ask critique and I'm nitpicking, that would probably be one. The other thing I would say is his message deserves to be heard by more people. So what I would recommend he does is I would hire somebody like as a PR person, because he doesn't have an assistant, by the way. He's very open about this. I don't know why he doesn't. I guess I guess sometimes his nonconformity gets in the way. But I would what I would do if I was him is I would make sure to get on all the big shows. I don't think he's been on all of them yet. He's been on most of them, not all of them. And I think that's a disservice for his time. Like even if he is generous He's actually too generous. I would be like the selfish guy who like interrupts him and go, no, Seth, your time is actually more valuable as an influencer, whereas people listening, not like human beings are all equal, but in terms of people we learn from, Seth is just way above the grade. So we need to make sure that he's on the biggest platform. So I would be a lot more stricter about that. That would probably be the second thing. And then the third thing... Uh, this is not really a criticism. This is more just a personal fan wish. Is I hope he writes his own autobiography before he passes away. I think that'd be super interesting. What a perfect thing to say because in my mind I'm thinking, I don't know his backstory. I don't know his. I don't know his story anywhere near to the degree that you do. I'm curious if you know his formation story, his origin story. Why is Seth Godin? And by the way, for those listening. We're going to stick with Seth Godin and wrap up here in about five, 10 minutes because this is so juicy and I'm loving this conversation and I feel like we could just do person by person. And so if you want to hear about other people, we're probably talking about Gary Vee. We'll probably talk about Lewis Howes. We're probably talking about Tim Ferriss. I mean, we'll talk about a lot of people. So share some ideas, put it in the chat. Let us know who you want us to dive in and talk about. But what do you know about his earlier days? his days where he really started to form his thought leadership. How did he study? Who did he study? How did he develop the, the, the thoughts that he has that are so now well-known, but it, it started from somewhere. Look, it's, it's the right question to ask Billy. And unfortunately I don't have a very good answer for you. 
And that's why my third critique isn't really a critique. It's a wish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Seth Godin is private on purpose. Very private. Yeah. Right. Do he doesn't that. like, right. He doesn't like talking about his life. Most of his stories about his life that are personal are very cheesy. It's never vulnerable. It's never, oh, I was on this bench. There's a couple, like to his credit, that are, that I actually don't remember right now as we're talking. But it wasn't deep enough, like uh, like as a con, like as a comparison. Like Lewis Howes, who's a very famous podcaster as well, is someone I very much admire. He had two episodes, full episodes, like two hours, on his childhood abuse and how what that taught him and all that. And it was amazing. It was eye-opening. And it completely made me look at Lewis in a different way. Seth, definitely, he's like the opposite. He doesn't go there. Uh, and I believe, to take his side for a bit, the, the reason I think he does that is because he wants to put emphasis on the ideas rather than the person behind those ideas. And I think that's fair, right? That's his choice, and I totally respect that. Which is different than Gary Vaynerchuk, by the way. He's different. He's the opposite. He's like the person behind the idea is just as important as the idea. And what's great is they can both be successful. They can both get along. But the reason I mentioned the autobiography is because – this is something I just thought of now that you asked the question, to be honest – is I feel it would be a good service to humanity, especially in his final days, because it would, it would, it would give us insight on specific aspects of his life that are not in his books that get pre-filtered out. So for example, let's say Seth goes, this is my thought leadership, nice and cookie clean. You know, it's kind of like taking a sandwich, removing the, what is it, the sides, right? The, yeah, the crust. Right, the crust. And like, here you go. <laughs> so you're sitting there like a five, you're like, mm, this is really good. This is really good. But if we have version one and we look at version one, we'll actually notice seven or eight other things that actually led to Seth that he doesn't want to talk about. Or or he makes a conscious, biased decision to go, this story is actually not relevant at all for my audience. And he's a mm. damn good curator, but even the best curators got that 5% that you just don't know about. And a good example, of course, Steve Jobs. Right, You know about Steve, but then when you read Walter Isaacson's bi- um, read of, of Steve's life, you learn a completely new side to Steve mm-hmm. that you don't really know about, like the fact that he never spent any time with his kids, um, he had a horrible marriage. Like You get into like the really granular aspects of who he was as a character, and you don't really um, idolize him as much, but you learn a lot more of the process behind his success. I'm not saying we need to go into the, into the dirt behind Sethka. That's not at all what yeah, I would yeah. say about, about him. Well, um, well history is, but history is littered with people who have done – significant things, artists, musicians, thought leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, inventors, who if you really pulled the curtain back and knew the dirt, as you said, the personal side, some of them are not glowing, high-integrity characters. And and in fact, many aren't. Not I mean, It's difficult to say, you know, percentage-wise, but sadly, so many people... We, we later find out aren't who we thought they were or maybe they had another side to them. So to your point, uh, to, or to the point you made about Seth is he wants to separate the ideas from the person. Yeah, exactly. Uh, wait, what's up, Chris? It's good to see you. Uh, and so I, um, Columbus, perfect example. And there's, there's no shortage of people who fall into that bucket. So carry on, carry on with what you were going to say. 
No, I love this. I love this. And and for me, I, I would say Seth is the opposite, though. Because Seth actually lived a really good life. Happily married. He's got kids. He just never talks about it. So I think it's more on the positive side. We can learn a lot more about how he led his life. That will influence a lot of people. But I do believe he won't make the decision to do that, and that's fine. That is my wish, though. But my compromise, if Seth was ever listening to this, is – are you familiar with Ray Dalio's Principles, the book Principles mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. Ray Dalio? Yep. So I would love – a Seth Godin version of that book. If he just gives me that, I'll be damn happy. Because he never gives life advice. And I think it's so sad. It's such a disservice. I was like, okay, cool. You don't want to tell me about your eight-year-old childhood? Okay, we're good. Okay, you lived your life. It's your life. You've given so much to humanity. I'm good. But could I get a Ray Dalio copy of Seth? Like, could I get a Seth Godin's Principles? If I got that, I'd be very happy. Yeah, like Life Fundamentals from Seth Godin. Okay, so before we wrap up, I do want to set the stage for future episodes. And to do that, here's the question I have for you. In 100 or even 200 years from now, as society looks back on great thinkers, thought leaders, authors, or even successful business people, the Elon Musks of the world, who are the people that are going to be most talked about, most known, most written about then that live today? That's super fascinating. Highly subjective, I also add. It's a great question I've never really pondered, but here's my thoughts. For me personally, okay, any thought leader that's layered in common sense practicality and that is practical in a way that no other thought leader has been able to push it to are the people who are going to be remembered. I'll give you an example. Richard Feynman is one of the greatest physicists of all time and also one of the greatest professors of physics. And he explains physics in such a simple way, though I can't explain it today, but he explains it in such a simple way that people who are enthusiasts of physics, who are growing up as kids, watch that video and want to pursue sciences. I'm not saying those are the people that will be remembered the most because the eccentric characters, there's a lot of factors here that we can't control but for me personally the people who strive for practicality who are able to make the human journey 10 times easier are the people who will be remembered so let's say in Seth's case he's done a great job dispelling marketing like his thought leadership of marketing will live hundreds of years to be honest sure the tools will change but the principles never will Culture will always be relevant. Status roles will always be relevant. And that's only, he pioneered that, the way of thinking in that way. I'm similar. Public speaking, my hope, hopefully, you know, is that I simplify public speaking so much that the whole idea of glossophobia, which is the fear of public speaking, doesn't exist at all. Which, and I have 40 years, I guess, to pull that off. I don't know if I can. I guess we'll see. But it's the same thing with Seth, right? Around marketing. Gary Vaynerchuk around hustle, hard work. What are the right principles for success? Tony Robbins, right? What does it what does it mean to lead a great life and how do we motivate others to do the same? I think for me, the people that I find I'll find the most interesting, who aren't necessarily the best, but are the ones who are able to take knowledge and disseminate it in such a practical, simplistic way that somebody who's starting at zero, who had the hunger of getting better, can easily access those tools and learn at warp speed. So just going a layer deeper as we think about simplifying concepts and taking things that may otherwise be complex or difficult to manage and use and implement, uh, who else 
would be an example and maybe provide a few other examples of when you say practical, do you mean something that people could implement into their own life? Is that what you mean? And um, maybe give a few other uh, examples of people who have done that well. Absolutely. So absolutely, Billy, yeah. implementation is definitely practical. So plug and play. You can just plug something in and it, you'll immediately get the result. So there's a couple of people, you actually might know not know a couple of these people, but one of them is definitely Peter Thiel. Yeah. His book, Zero to One, is, I believe, probably, to for me personally, is the most important book I'll read in my lifetime, besides Thirst by Scott Harrison. Peter's one of them, for sure. I think Scott Harrison is also one of them. And the way that he completely changed the way we look at nonprofit and how we stack nonprofit work in service of culture instead of fighting against it, working with it to be successful. Sets sets a good example. Another good example, man, you put me in a tough spot. Ray Dalio, I think, is an incredible example as well. The idea of radical transparency. How do you how like he had a we like Bridgewater Associates, his hedge fund, had such an interesting concept where even the most senior person at the firm, some entry-level employee can give them feedback and they'll take the criticism as if it's the same thing. That's another great example of someone I, I find super interesting and fascinating. Other people as well as Lewis Howes. Lewis Howes, actually, what's interesting about him is it's not the simplicity himself. It's his simplistic way of being that then leads to simplifying the knowledge of others. So it's kind of like a meta there, where because he's a simplistic Columbus guy, when he goes up to you know the other thought leaders of this generation, he's able to simplify their content in a way that's never been simplified before. Mm. So those are just a couple of that's people. A power, that that's a powerful. That's and that's a powerful pr- approach too, right? If you're able to synthesize and take other people and hey, what's up, Chris Delaney in the house? Uh, thanks for your insight. Uh, capital uh, approach to capital impacts the long tail, big picture problems facing humanity. Always bringing. Uh, Always bringing insights there, Delaney. Thanks, man. Thanks for being here. want to thank uh, Elisa Marie Hughes, uh, Nathan Pepper. What's up, Nathan? Good to see you. Uh, and Gonzalo. Nathan's in San Jose. Uh, Elisa Marie's in Connecticut. Uh, we're, we're, I think uh, Delaney, I think, are you still in Florida? Um, but yeah, no. So we're, um, I think we're out of, we're out of time. We have, uh, I have date night tonight. So I have, uh, uh, Brendan suggests salsa dancing. I don't think that will happen, but something fun will happen. So I got date night tonight. I love this theme to talk about amazing human beings, remarkable human beings and really dive in and unpack some of the brilliance of the contributions they make to society, to life, to all of us. And hopefully by, you know, for those who are able to listen today and, and watch, hopefully you got a few valuable insights. Maybe you'll check out some of the, um, the people that we talked about, obviously Seth being a, a primary person that we talked about. So, uh, Brendan, final word. What were your thoughts about this about this session? Would you like? And then where do you, where do you want to go next? I love it, man. I love it. I I think this is a great start. I just love talking to you, to be honest. Every day, super fun because it always leads to different rabbit holes of thought that not many people on a live stream, not many people on a podcast really explore. Like, for example, a lot of things of Seth Godin, I was thinking through this as we were talking. I was like, all right, like he is, in many ways, an immortal of ideas. And there's a lot of great nuggets there that I feel not many people can catch on about Seth's work. So yeah, I'm excited for the future. And what I especially like is the deepness. 
you know, how deep we're going in some of these people and the insights we're bringing to people. So it's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, we want to hear from you. Let us know if there's any people or topics you want us to cover. Please send both of us a DM. Let us know. If you haven't yet already subscribed to Master Talk, go to YouTube. That's Brendan's YouTube channel. Highly, highly suggest checking it out, especially if you want to master your ability to communicate. Um, my name's Billy. I have, I uh, am so excited to be on this this journey with my buddy Brendan. Uh, very, very uh, happy to do this on a regular basis. We've we've done what well, this is our third one, and we'll probably do. Uh, I don't know, maybe two or three a week, hopefully. And we haven't figured out our exact schedule. So if you have any times that you want, we're we're very fluid at this point. We went in with very, very loose and uh, not rigid uh, approach. And so with that, we, uh, we hope that you like this one and uh, stay tuned for the next one. Take care, everyone. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.